Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. If a beef producer was asked to give one single name to a company or a person who has contributed most to Australia's beef industry, the odds are that single name would be McDonald's. Yes, McDonald's, the world's largest retailer of beef. 40,000 outlets around the world and close to 70 million customers per day. So how important is McDonald's to the beef industry? I'm sure we'll get a good idea as we hear from a bloke with a very descriptive title in the McDonald's hierarchy. He is the director of the worldwide supply chain for McDonald's. Andrew Brazier, welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Happy to be here, Kerry. Now, let's check your background. You're from the bush, a property central New South Wales somewhere, and, and mixed, but a lot of fine wool? Yeah, so we were in fine wool, um, but towards, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, we moved, to sh- we were shifting across to beef, and so, and that's where most of the, most of the production was, um, but we've since, since I moved over to the US, uh, we got rid of it, and so uh, dad, mum and dad moved into town. The good thing was that we sold it to another brazier, and so it, st- it stayed within the family. Now, school in Sydney, then to uni. What did you study at uni? I assume it's ag science or something like that. Yeah, so I did agriculture out at uh, Hawkesbury, University of Western Sydney, Hawkesbury. After Hawkesbury then, you went back to the property, but a light bulb came on after a couple of years and you had this urge to go back to the city to sell something out. What was that? Just a curiosity, Kerry. You know, we were were selling cattle and we we were finishing some cattle. We We were selling them as feeders as well. Back then, we weren't getting a lot of feedback about carcasses or you know, the performance of the animals. And so it was more a curiosity about that. And so I wanted to get off the farm um, and just understand what was happening further downstream in the supply chain. And my idea was that I'd circle back after a couple of years. And that was, it was about 20 years ago. So I haven't quite done the U-turn yet and gone back. So you went to the city, you didn't go to the local agent and say, can I buy buy cattle for you for a couple of years or anything like that? You went straight to Sydney and you became a meat buyer? Yeah, I was really interested in the international side of things, um, just because I had no experience in it. And so it was really around, you know, just quenching a bit of a curiosity thirst for it. And so I got an opportunity, got a job selling box beef to to North America. And that's really when I sort of got into that international trade and, and I've always loved the international dynamics of, um, of beef trade. When was your first connection with uh, McDonald's? So it would have been around 2003. McDonald's US made a decision. So at that time, early 2000s, McDonald's US was using 100% US beef. A little bit like what they're going to what they're going to have at their cattle cycle now, they were coming to the end of a herd liquidation, and they were going to move into a um, into a rebuilding phase. So McDonald's knew that they were going to have to source lean beef from other, you know, broader than just the US. They saw the opportunity of Australian New Zealand beef. They wanted to establish that channel. There are five suppliers that we had then, and we still have those five today, that provide the McDonald's system in the US with the hamburger patties. So each of the five was saying, well, we can establish this and we can start this trade. The thing about that was when you when you go from zero to a lot of volume as the, what the McDonald's system was going to need, it, it had the risk that it was going to provide a lot of volatility into the market. So that was a concern for McDonald's. And coupled that with the fact that McDonald's 
views Australia as such a strategic uh, source of beef. You know, we, we source 100% of Australian beef for the Australian system. We were sourcing 100% Australian beef for the Japanese system and Taiwan and the Philippines and so on. And so the risk that we would have had was that McDonald's was going to be the biggest competitor for ourselves, you know, that the needs of McDonald's Japan would clash with the needs of McDonald's the US. And so we wanted to have a coordinated approach. So the idea was to create an umbrella, a buying entity, and they needed a buyer. And so that's when I, that's when I came into the system and we started specifically for the US, but we were good at what we did. And so the system quickly picked up that we can use this opportunity and, and leverage it with the other markets as well. So we started, like I said, with the US, then we moved to supplying McDonald's Australia, McDonald's New Zealand, and then the Asian markets followed until that model, which is still in play, today became that coordinating hub for beef raw material out of Australia and New Zealand. And I would say that it's been so successful that we've replicated that. So we also have that, we also have that consolidation hub for beef in the US. We've got the consolidation in Canada. We've now moved it, we've expanded it to other commodities. So we also do that with um, pork now for our system needs in North America. And we're looking at other areas where we can, where we can consolidate raw material where, it's, uh, where it makes sense for us. When you introduced uh, Australian grinding meat into the American market and you shandied it with the American product, that would obviously produce a lower fat hamburger, assuming that the American grinding meat was much fatter. It would produce a better burger and certainly a healthier burger. No, so the, the end product, the, the chemical lean of the product, which is basically the, your red meat to fat ratio, was the same. So the, out, the output was the same. The concerns were more around would a, would a grass would a grass flavoured beef impact the sensory evaluation on the product. There were two things that were of real concern. So that was one of them. And the second one was around what are the ranchers going to say? You know, we don't want to undermine the support for the ranchers, as we don't want to do that wherever we operate. The system undertook a big socialisation of what they intended to do with the US ranchers so that they were all aware because again it's it's this partnership mentality that McDonald's has um, so in full transparency they would go around to town hall equivalents and um, they knew that they were onto a good thing because they'd go into some of these um, you know smaller towns in places like Oklahoma and Texas their car park was uh, was full of um, pickups and uh, they were confident that they were going to be okay and it was going to be accepting because the gun racks still had their guns in them. They said, you, where you need to worry is when you don't see the guns. <laughs> where are they? Yes. I assume it's correct to say that you only buy from agents, you don't buy direct from processors? So that consolidation model I was talking about, they're tasked with buying from the abattoirs. And so what we do is we have a McDonald's approved list of abattoirs. So you can't just, any abattoir or anyone that, that processes um, beef cattle can't come onto our list. There's a very stringent list of requirements that we have around things, not only on food safety and quality, but on things like animal health and welfare, standards around the workforce so that we, um, we ensure that the, the workers are treated right. And this is consistent across the world. So you can have an audit at say Dinmore or a Bean Lee here with the T's and, uh, and JBS. That same form, that same process is done with our abattoirs in Brazil, the same process done with our abattoirs in North America, Europe. We've, we've standardized, we've McDonaldized it. 
So have the specs changed at all over the years? Not fundamentally when it comes to things like food safety. We've, we think we've got food safety and quality pretty right. We, we tweak and we've tweaked sort of things around animal health and welfare, things that as we learn more, we will, we will look for continual improvements and we keep raising the bar. So the abattoirs, quite often I'll go into an abattoir and see in their office there that they are a proud supplier into the McDonald's system because it's viewed as in the industry as the highest standard, higher than, higher than country entry requirements, things of that nature. And if you can supply McDonald's, you can supply everyone else. In a hamburger in America, what proportion is Australian meat and what proportion is from the United States? So it varies. And it's really around the market dynamics. So when that imported beef price is a significant competitive advantage, we can be up to 30% of the, um, of the patty will be imported beef. And so that would be Australia and or New Zealand beef. When it's expensive, so times like now, when you've got the US on a liquidation and domestic product over there is cheap, that might go down five, 7%. So we keep, we keep it in at all times and we keep flowing it through. Um, because we want, we want to keep those channels open and we also would run into shelf life issues otherwise as well. So it, it varies from, from time to time. Time for a break. We're at BeefX 22 here in Brisbane at the Exhibition Grounds. We'll be back in a moment. Akatak Duo Star from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. Welcome back. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Our guest today, Andrew Brazier from McDonald's. You mentioned the drought. What's the long-term impact there for the herd and their production of uh, grinding meat? I, I think it's going to take years to recover. When it, when it does recover, you know, the US tends to run on 10 years or historically has tended to run on 10 year cycles. Five years of liquidation, five years of rebuilding. This liquidation's continued year after year, you know, well past that five years. And so what they're doing is they're robbing future Peter to pay Paul. And, and I think it's gonna, you know, just the nature of, the, nature of the, the cattle breeding cycle, it's gonna take a long time and it's gonna take a lot of consistently good seasonality in their, in their breeding regions, you know, like the Wyoming's and Montana's and Florida's of the world where they breed a lot of cattle so they don't finish in there they all sort of head to the midwest but yeah i think it's going to take a long time for them to recover back to sort of normal conditions i'll call it so when it rains uh, what's and they, and they stop sending so many cattle to the processing workers every week uh, what are there opportunities for australian meat industry here to further their exports to the united states yeah, I think that I think yeah. definitely that will happen. I think you know we talked about that five percent that the, we're currently at, or five or seven percent of that imported um, component of the of the patty. It may, it may be higher. I think it'll be higher, and I think there will be, you know, we'll have to pay up for it as well because there's because Australia. If I if I take my McDonald's hat off and I just put an Australian cattleman's hat on, then I would say, okay, well I've got options now. You know, I can sell to the US 
that used to be a floor price setter, you know, now when they become market leaders, you know, the Americans, they love their beef and they love their ground meat in particular. And so they will pay up for that. And there's, there is upside to that manufacturing beef, you know, less upside on the steak side of things. So I think that you're not, you're not going to stop the love affair that Americans have with manufacturing meat. What's the feedback from customers uh, in America? And is it any different to the feedback from customers in Australia? They're reasonably similar. We see a consistency in how customers think and act, you know, in Western markets, you know, like whether that's the US or North America, US or Canada or Australia or even the UK. Well, maybe not the UK. I think the Europeans are a little bit more green. They're a, little, they're a lot more aware. They're more sensitive to things like antibiotic use, as an example. The, the North American customer is a lot more tolerant of how antibiotics is in the system or HGPs are in the system, which is, which is a technology that creates efficiency. The risk is, do you use this technology that's available to increase the efficiencies and, you know, for instance, increase or, or lower the, the carbon used per kilo of beef produced, or do you, or you take that technology away but increase your inefficiencies. Do the consumers talk about uh, carbon emissions and climate change, et cetera, et cetera? Not, spe not necessarily specifically. I mean, some do. Some want to go digging into the details. From a McDonald's consumer, they just want to feel good about the food that they, that they eat. And, and, it's, and it's, up to, it's up to the industry to help provide the, the transparency and the information behind, behind those claims. So, you know, we're not going to say that, that we have a, um, you know, animal health and welfare friendly patty, but it's an expectation that they have. So what's McDonald's long term, Amy? Are you going to make yourself carbon emissions free by a certain time? And does that translate into where you might buy your beef from? Yeah, so we, we have a, um, so we've got an ambition to be carbon neutral by 2050. And ultimately, yeah, we will, that will dictate where we buy our ingredients from. So it's not just beef. When we look at our emissions, you know, supply, the supply chain within McDonald's, that's where, you know, three quarters of our emissions come from. And within that, beef is our largest footprint. And then soy, well, soy, and, soy and chicken are our second. So if we see one region or one country that's not doing anything about it, we would have ser serious considerations about where we're going to source from uh, because we've, we've got these public-facing commitments that our investors want and expect, that our customers want and expect. But having said that, you know, I've got full confidence in the Australian industry um, that they will, they will be meeting and exceeding these sort of expectations. So sustainability, environmental impact, that could or is a factor in where you will source your beef? Yes. So we looked at, we had 2020 goals around beef sustainability specifically, along with a number of other commodities. And I'm pleased to say that in our top 10 sourcing regions, of which Australia is one of them, and that represents about 85% of our raw material sourcing, the, the industries were, were very active in this space. And, and it's, and it's uh, you know, it's, it's a case of them wanting to be relevant to the customer, the same as McDonald's wants to be relevant to the consumer. So we're, we're all, we're at different points on that, um, on that paradigm in terms of sort of where some of the developments are. And it's not a case of, you know, Irish beef is better than, than the US beef or, or grain fed beef is more efficient than grass fed beef. You know, it's not a, we don't want to go down that path of, you know, one versus the other. We're, we're trying to have a, um, have a lifting tide rise or boats. 
Can I talk about fake meat, what I call fake meat, uh, uh, plant-based meat, I guess, or plant-based substitute meat, whatever they want to call it? Is that still a major or a, a growing part of the McDonald's menu? It's part of the menu. So we have a, uh, we have a product offering called the McPlant, and so what we've done it's part of what we call a regional core item. So we have, so we partnered with Beyond Meat to have a standardised beef patty. And so, you know, if a market like Australia says, hey, we want to use it, um, that's, the, that's the spec and that's how it's going to be used. The markets aren't knocking down the doors to say that we must have this um, in the market. They're sort of, they're, but they're proceeding um, and they're putting it in, uh, into the markets and testing it. So... Victoria, for instance, is doing a trial with uh, with the McPlant at the moment for McDonald's, and it's just it's just again part of trying to stay relevant to the consumer. So imagine you've got you know four people going down the going down the street, going going to a show or or what have going to the pub, and they want to grab a bite to eat before they go, and one of them doesn't like meat for whatever reason. Well, now they can go into McDonald's and they can have they can have a McPlan and the other three can have a quarter pounder or whatever that you know, maybe they want nuggets. But it's it's again trying to offer a range to to increase our overall sales, but it's not going to be, you know, I can't see in the near term it being a market driver. You know, we are a, we are a beef brand. Yeah. Time for a break. We're at BeefX 22 here in Brisbane at the Exhibition Grounds. We'll be back in a moment. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. Welcome back. You're on The Grill with Beef Central. Our guest today, Andrew Brazier from McDonald's. Now, the other thing that's on the horizon, of course, is uh, laboratory meat. I suppose with, uh, you've had, you'd have an interest in it, wouldn't you? You'd be keeping an eye on how it's going. Keep one eye on it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's got a long way to go. And I think there's a, they have a long journey ahead of them um, just in terms of, you know, the, their own resources, that, you know, energy and carbon and everything else that goes into producing that at, on, on a mass sort of scale. And again, I think cattle and beef are a solution to a lot of these things. You know, I mean, there's, there's so much of the world where only grass grows. It's not, you know, it's marginal land. It's not cropping, it's not cropping land. And last, last I knew, humans can't eat grass and get energy out of it. Cattle can. And so it makes sense. When you talk about a more sustainable future, cattle, are part, cattle and livestock are part of that solution. Now... Uh, Russia, you're in the focus of just about everybody on the planet at the moment. You've had to sell up or you've been asked to sell up or you thought it was the right thing to do just to sell all your stores in Russia. Quite a lot of them, I understand. 
Yes, yeah, it, it was a... Um, it was 800 stores or something like that? You were around, around that. Too. I can't give you the, the exact figure off the top of my head. I do know that we had about 60,000 employees um, that were McDonald's employees. We got out of the market because it was the right thing to do. We weren't asked to do it. We just said, given the circumstances and everything like it, unfortunately, uh, and I say unfortunately for, for the Russian people and, the, and, the, and, and particularly for the McDonald's employees, it just wasn't tenable for us to be able to go there anymore. So we, we sold it to someone who had a few stores. There was an owner-operator within Russia and they will you know they're running it as their own as their own business it's not mcdonald's they've we've what we call de-arched that market so and our our suppliers you know many of whom are multinationals um you know they may be out they may be out um and they may have technical knowledge on on how to produce our products based on the fact that you know last year they were producing um product for us but i think long term they won't have the expertise to be able to maintain the standards and the expectations around being a mcdonald's supplier but it's a it's a tough situation having I would just say as well, um, you know, we also have McDonald's in the Ukraine as well. And just recently we reopened in the Ukraine to try to give the Ukraine people, you know, a, a bit of a safe harbour. So on the, uh, on the western side of the Ukraine, we've reopened stores to try to allow channels of food to be able to get to, um, to the population in the Ukraine. I just learned a new word today, de-arched. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, when you, on your address today, it said something really interesting that when lettuce was $10 each or something and you couldn't supply, you had to actually import lettuce from the United States into Australia. I don't think that's ever been done before, but what was the story? We just couldn't get it. We couldn't get the lettuce to be able to fill our needs, and so we had to look elsewhere. So we have a, very, we have, we have a lot of uh, contingency plans in place, and so we had a contingency plan for the US product as a substitute to be able to get across to, um, to Australia. And this, this is, you know, in case of emergency sort of break glass because it's not, very, it's not very efficient transporting or air freighting in this case, lettuce from California to, to Australia. So it's a very short term sort of fix. May have been the first time we've imported lettuce from California to Australia, but we've imported other things before. We've moved product around before. When we had the West Coast congestion, or and that's starting to ease now. We put a lot of French fries from the US, you know, places like Idaho, across into Japan, and we were running out. We were running out, so we air freighted uh, French fries into Japan in order to maintain a short supply. So. We're determined, you know, part of our DNA is we don't run out of product. And so you don't want to go into a uh, McDonald's restaurant and order a Big Mac and then be told, no, we're not going to serve it to you. Because you haven't got any lettuce. Because we don't have lettuce. And we don't serve lettuce. We don't serve a Big Mac without lettuce unless the customer asks for it. <laughs> Tell me, what will the Big Mac look like in 20 years? The same. <laughs> Why mess with perfection? <laughs> now, not the final question, but this is. What value does Andrew get from reading Beef Central? I read it every day. News sources in, um, in the US are not a great source of news. So I, I read my, I get my um, current affairs news from smh.com.au and I, and I get my rural um, fix from Beef Central. Andrew Brazier, great pleasure to have you on Beef Central. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Kerry. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.